compassion. You will do well to avoid these things. Farewell. Okay. Um, so I don't know about you, but it's, it's kind of easy to read through the, those scriptures and to kind of miss the super important um, things that are in there. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been really good for me to uh, do some digging into the background of, of the scripture. But um, just before we go there, I just want to remind you where we got to in Acts before. Uh, and last time we looked at the gospel to the pagans in Lystra and they had no previous background in the Old Testament they didn't know the story of God's dealings with Israel um, and and we we picked out some important um, things um, in that passage which was the, the preaching the gospel involves words and deeds I remember Paul healed the, the lame man um, and that's why we we're um, engaging with Christians Against Poverty as, as we kind of go forward into uh, reaching out to our community in Wiriora. Uh requires us to be familiar with the worldview of the people we're trying to reach. So Paul was very familiar with all the, the Greek gods, um, Zeus and Hermes, uh, and why they, they thought that um, Paul and uh, Barnabas were <laughs> uh, Zeus and Hermes. And... And we should not be surprised to encounter hardship along the way. You remember that, that uh, Paul actually got taken out and, and got hurt, stones hurled at him and the, until they thought he was dead. So, um, But he, he dusted himself off, off and kept going. So he's a bit of a champ, old Paul. But uh, one thing that was really cool uh, was that um, we looked a bit how Paul engaged with the people who had no background. And... Uh, one way of doing that in our culture is to look at what um, Tolkien said about human longings that are common to all of us. And if you think about the Lord of the Rings, um, there are, there are he, like he he picks up these four aspects that are common to to every human that are the deep longing that we have, which is we want to escape time and death. So remember, the elves travel over over the ocean right at the end, and they don't seem to die they just seem to coast off into the sunset and Bilbo and Gandalf do the same we long to communicate with non-human beings so again in the Lord of the Rings you had elves and hobbits and dwarves and all sorts of wonderful creatures um, and and also we find ourselves looking into space for evidence of aliens and, and everyone's mad keen on even if it's a few microbes I think they'll take it we dream of finding a love that heals every pain in our hearts which we can never lose and I don't know if you remember it, at the, the end of the Lord of the Rings, uh, Bilbo has been still troubled by the wound that he got from the, the bad guy. And so he sails over the sea and, and hopefully he finds relief from his pain and, and uh, an end. And maybe even a love, who knows. Uh, and we long to see the complete conquest of good over evil. So as we engage with people who maybe don't have any background in Christianity, um, Maybe we can draw out some of these common longings that that are in all of us. Um, and when people say the world is is um, a crap place, or you know, they're saying that it's not as it should be, and and, and they're kind of they're trying to, to articulate that these things should be the way the world is, but they're not. And so we are basically, if, if people say that, we're basically saying 
we long for something else that this world can never provide. So um, <clears throat> the good thing is that if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, then all of these longings will come true. We will all uh, escape time and death. We will, we will communicate with angels and, and God himself. We will find a love that heals every pain in our hearts and we, can never, we will never lose it. And we will see the complete conquest of good over evil. So in the gospel, all these things come true. If the secular narrative is true, none of these things are possible. So that was um, what we found from um, Acts 14. So as we, um, as we move into Acts 15, um, we see that some of the pagan um, people had come to Christ and Paul and Barnabas weren't telling them to follow all the Jewish customs. And then some, um, I didn't realize this, but some of the Pharisees had become believers and, and still remained as Pharisees, um, which is, I was like, well, I thought all the Pharisees were like completely off the rails, but there you go. Um, some of the Pharisees had become believers, but then because of their focus on the law, they, they traveled down to Lystra and started telling the Gentile believers, hey, you guys have to be circumcised and you have to obey the law of Moses, otherwise you're not saved. And that, of course, freaked them out because they'd never heard of all this stuff. So this is what they said. The, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So it's not just circumcision, it's everything. Um, so after that, uh, they had a, uh, in the scriptures, it says a sharp dispute, but the word is also <laughs> translated as insurrection and even riot uh, elsewhere in Acts. So you can tell it wasn't a quiet uh, chat over tea and scones. So what was everyone getting so um, head up about? Essentially, what was required for salvation? No less. Um, Paul and Barnabas taught the Gentile believers they were saved through faith uh, and uh, by grace, you know, the undeserved favour of God and what he did on the cross. And um, the Pharisees said, that's fine, you do that, but you also have to do the law of Moses thing. Um, and they, so they had this big ding-dong argument. What do they do next? They travelled back to Jerusalem. Now, Paul was in the middle of his ministry and the, the, the journey to Jer back to Jerusalem was about from here to Wellington. So if I said, guys, let's head, start walking for Wellington for a church meeting, what, <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> Lead us! <laughs> Enjoy yourself. <laughs> um, but if I said, um, guys, we need to travel, uh, walk to Wellington because the fate of potentially billions of people is on the line, would you do it then? I, you know, I'd like to think that if, if that was the case, then we'd all start walking for Wellington. So, um, and this is what the gospel, this is what's at stake here. Um, and this is why it's so important. So um, they get together uh, in Jerusalem, the church council, and, and James is there. James was the leader of the church. But Peter gets up and, and says that things have changed since Jesus rose from the dead. And he says that the Lord told him to go to the Gentiles and they received the Holy Spirit. And so, um, and, and Paul, again, shared the same thing, that the Gentiles were, were coming to faith, receiving the Holy Spirit. It was clear that God was accepting, accepting them without having to meet every requirement of the law of Moses. And then he goes, Peter goes on to say this, 
Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So, the word for test here, uh, it's an unusual unusual thing to say. Why do you try to test God? What's going on here? Uh, the word for test means to inflict evils upon someone, in this case God, in order to try and prove his character. So, um, so Peter's saying that it's clear that God has already accepted the Gentiles without adherence to the law of Moses. The Pharisees are saying, okay, uh, that's not enough. And so they're basically saying, God's a liar. God's not actually telling you the whole story. So that's why the word test is in there. It's, it's, it's like saying, what are, you, what are you trying to say, that God's a liar? What do you, how do you think God's going to take that? <laughs> now, what's a yoke? Um, hopefully you all know what a yoke is, but just in case, uh, that wooden thing is, uh, is the yoke. So it's, it holds two oxen together so uh, that they can be controlled and to pull in the right direction. And it's interesting that the law is compared to a yoke, isn't it? Uh, but when you think about it, the law does sit on us. It, it, it does require us to to pull together in the same way. It's 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 like a it's like um, something that says that there's a direction, a, a right way to go, um, and like a yoke, it does to the oxen. Um, <clears throat> so a yoke is intended for a good purpose, and I guess uh, you can say the law is good and right and pure. Uh, but it's also an impossible burden uh, for us to bear. And it kills the freedom that the gospel brings. And, and later on in Corinthians, um, Paul says this, He has qualified us, making us su- uh, sufficient, as ministers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ, not of the letter, so that's the law of Moses, a written code, but of the Spirit, for the letter of the law kills by revealing sin and demanding obedience, but the Spirit gives life. So this is an important point. The gospel brings freedom. Uh, it is intended to bring freedom. Uh, but the, the law, the letter of the law kills. It, it, it brings, um, it reveals sin, which is, that's what it's supposed to do. But then it, le- it, it, then it says, no, now you must obey. And if you're anything like me, you've, you've tried your hardest uh, in yourself and you haven't been able to obey so um, that's an important point. The gospel brings freedom, but the law kills that freedom. So if God accepts me through my faith in what Jesus has done, it means I can stop looking at myself and judging myself because I fail to live up to what I know is right. And included in the, in the law here, the letter of the law, I think there is expectations of that I place on myself, these expectations that my family and, and uh, place on me, and maybe my work colleagues have expectations on me as well, and my society and the community in which I live has expectations, and all of those expectations <laughs> can pile up on us and, and feel uh, that it's an impossible burden to take, um, to carry. And the gospel takes all those burdens off. The gospel says we're... Uh, we're accepted by God and when we accept what Christ has done through faith. So the, the gospel lifts off all those burdens, which is a wonderful thing. And, and we receive the Holy Spirit who brings 
the presence of God who helps us um, to, to obey the Lord. And we can see this in the life of Peter himself. And remember um, what, what he promised. <laughs> he promised Jesus, um, I will lay down my life for you. That was his, that was his promise. He promised Jesus that he would lay down his life. And when it came to the crunch, what did he do? <laughs> he denied three times with swearing and cursing. So everyone knew that he had failed epically. And how did, how did he turn around from that defeated man? He was turned around through grace. Jesus accepted him back through no reason. He, he didn't have any other reason other than grace. Desiring favor for Peter after he'd failed so badly. Um, and that's the good news. We can, we can stop looking at ourselves to, to be something that we're never going to be able to be. And we can rest in what, what God has done and the freedom that his love brings. So where are you at today? This is, a, this is the first question for you today. Are you experiencing the freedom and the life uh, that the gospel brings? Or do you feel like you're being slowly slowly killed by all the, the burdens of expectations that perhaps you, you place on yourself or your family place on you or society places on you? Where, where are you at? Um, Peter would say maybe we're trying to add if we're feeling of that maybe we're trying to add something to what Jesus has done and he would say stop doing that stop trying to add something else to what Christ has done and rest in what Christ has done remember the law kills but the spirit brings life so let's uh, get back to the council so they have this big long debate and um this is what the decision of the Council of Jerusalem was. Seem good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You would do well to avoid these things. So the law of Moses, I didn't realise this, anyone know how many laws are in the law of Moses? 613, yeah. 613 laws, requirements, and, and uh, it even extended to laws governing clothing. Uh, do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. So the law went down to that detail, um, and that's in Le- Leviticus 19.19. And the worst thing was, if you broke one law, you were guilty of breaking them all. So that's pretty, <laughs> that's a crap deal if I ever heard one. Um, that's really tough. But um, you remember this is also a requirement. This, this, this statement sums up the law. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And I don't know about you, but this is a, this is a beautiful scripture. This, this scripture is, I know this is right. I know this is good. This is, this is something that I long to do. But has anyone ever been able to do it? Has anyone been able to love God with all of their heart, all of their soul, and all of their strength? I would say no one has apart from one, and that's Christ. So the law, this is a summary of the law. The law demands from me 
what I cannot give. So I would love to love God like that, but I can't. So, but in Christ, God sees me as though I have, right? By accepting what Christ has done, God sees me as though I have loved him with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my strength. <clears throat> so this is the wonderful gift we, we've been given in the gospel. And we are now free to love God imperfectly, resting in the grace of God when we, when we fail. Now, um, if we go back to um, the previous verse, we can see that's an unusual thing, right? So why did, why did they pick these requirements out of, of, all, the, of all the laws? Um, you look at the first three, <clears throat> it's all about uh, food, right? And what, what the Gentile believers are not to do. But later on, Paul says, you can actually eat anything. Later on in Corinthians, um, he says, you're free to eat anything. But he also says, if, I, if, I, if what I eat causes my brother to stumble, then I'm not going to eat it. <clears throat> now, so why these, those first three requirements are there are because the Gentile, he didn't want the Gentile believers to make the Jewish believers stumble because remember the, Jew, the Jews have been following those food rules all their lives and it, to, to them it's like, like horrible. No, I'll never do that. And so if, the, if they saw the, the Gentile believers eating food offered to idols, they, they would be dragged down themselves perhaps and they would maybe cause... There's a, there's a um, there's a, a verse in the scriptures that says if we believe something is wrong, it might not be it not might not be wrong for everyone, but if it's, if we consider it's wrong, then we shouldn't do it, right? So we shouldn't go against our own conscience. So that's what these three um, requirements are all about. Don't want the Gentile believers to cause the Jewish believers to 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 fall into sin, but there's this other one from sexual immorality. Now, um, what is sexual immorality? And in order to understand what God un- God means by sexual immorality, we need to look back to the law of Moses, okay? Uh, which is basically any sexual activity outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. So it's clear that God wants his children to marry someone of his, of his choosing before they have sex. And that's... Um, so we have this interesting interplay between um, a whole bunch of the law of Moses that we don't have to follow, but there are some aspects of the law of Moses that's, that still will be... Now it says, you would do well to avoid these things. So... We are, it is still good for us to avoid some of the things in the law of Moses. And many commentators say they're, they're the moral laws of the law of Moses. So that would be good for us, be, it'd be, we would do well. And, and the, the word for well is to prosper. Um, so we, 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 will, we will prosper if we avoid sexual immorality. And we will prosper if we don't steal. We will prosper if we don't kill anyone, and and all those other things in the Ten Commandments, right? So there's some aspects of 
looked the law of Moses that we're still expected to um, to display in our lives, not for our salvation, but because it's we will do well. Now, why is this important? <clears throat> Have you ever been told as a Christian that that you're picking and choosing which rules to follow out of the Bible? Has anyone ever said to you, "Oh, well, you you um, oh, hello, Colin Winston, nice to see." <clears throat> so has anyone ever said to you, um, well, you, it's clear that you don't follow the laws around what, what fabric that you're supposed to wear. So um, you can't pick and choose which laws you're going to follow out of the Old Testament. So you're a hypocrite. You either follow them all or you don't follow them. Right? Has anyone ever, ever had a go at you for that? Yeah. So, so this is the verse where we can point to. Like, we're not picking and choosing... If the Bible itself tells us we're not, we're not, we don't have to follow all those laws, right? So if anyone asks you that again, you remember this verse, Acts 15. We don't have to follow all of the law of Moses anymore. But we, are, we would do well to avoid sexual immorality and, and the other moral laws that are displayed in the law of Moses. So this is really important. The people are quite right. We cannot pick and choose what we want to believe and follow out of the Bible that's that, I mean we don't we don't have the authority to do that but when the Bible itself tells us we don't have to follow us, us all the ritual laws and the ceremonial laws and all the sacrifices and so on then we don't have to do it right it's the Bible itself that tells us that so um, so yeah so back to sexual immorality if you're single <clears throat> and you're living a celibate life and you've chosen to save yourself until, until marriage, you're prospering, despite how it feels <laughs> some of the time. And uh, I found it's really interesting how I, some of the stuff is actually starting to come through um, and, and academically. And psychologist Jordan Peterson says that there's some games that you do not get to play unless you're all in. And marriage is one of those games. And um, here's what he says. He's got this thing called uh, entitled On Living Together. Consider the statement implicit in, live, in living together prior to marriage. You're good enough to live with and attractive enough for temporary sexual purposes, but I want to hold open the possibility of trading up if I'm fortunate enough to find someone preferable to you, someone sufficiently deluded to accept me as a partner under such conditions. <laughs> Contrast that with I'm willing to stake my future on our joint integrity and to risk building a life with you on that foundation. If you had to choose between two potential partners on the basis of those alternate explicitly stated principles, one abiding by the former, the other the latter, whom would you choose? And it's clear, of course, you would, you would want to choose the person um, of integrity, who's lived their life, um, not um, uh, giving themselves to all and sundry. That's the person you'd want to, to marry. Okay? So this is coming through... Um, Jordan Peterson doesn't call himself a Christian but he's recognising the, the truth of, and the goodness of, of God's requirements that it's good for us as humans to save ourselves from marriage and as a single person if you're doing that you're, you're building your integrity and, um, and your future husband or wife will be able to see that and that's so you're prospering even though it doesn't feel like it sometimes 
And if you're already married and you're honoring your husband or wife by not sleeping with anyone else, you're protecting your marriage and you are prospering too. And as a result, your family is prospering and, um, and society prospers. And, and studies have shown that marital unfaithfulness is one of the main reasons for divorce and divorce leads to fatherless families. And this is what psychology today says about fatherless families. All the statistics indicate that boys raised in fatherless families are significantly more likely to experience negative psychosocial outcomes. This includes higher rates of running away, school dropout, incarceration, substance abuse, and suicide. And one of the common statistics that, that is often said is that boys in fatherless homes are five times more likely to end up in jail. So, God knows, God wants us to prosper, and that's why he's given us the law, right? So he knows that if strong marriages create strong families, and strong families create strong societies. But it's not a rule. It's not like a piece of software that guarantees an outcome, right? It's generally true, and we can see that in the statistics. It's generally statistically true that if you save yourself uh, for marriage, that will provide you with a strong basis for marriage. But it's not a guarantee that you will have a successful marriage. And it's also true that that um, uh, that families with fathers will will have much less a likelihood of their their sons ending up in, in prison and, and experiencing some of these harmful things. So you can see why God still wants us to follow aspects of of the law of Moses, because it it and it's and you think, well, why don't we as a society make that a priority? Why don't we? Why don't we? Why don't we highlight the, the ideal of a man and woman in marriage and, and have policies and things to encourage that because that will create strong families and our society will, will strengthen. But we think we know better than God, don't we? Just like the Pharisees did. And so now we, we're trying to say, oh, do whatever you want, sleep with whoever you want, and somehow, how's that going to help us? And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It seems to me that our society is kind of fragmenting and it's not good for our society but we've decided we know better than God so there's one um, back to uh, Acts 15 <clears throat> there's one uh, final big message that, that we can receive from this passage I think the Pharisees in making this kind of requirement on the Gentiles they thought they were doing the right thing but they are actually doing something really bad but we all, all have this tendency to fall back to legalism. Because it's almost like we, we know it. We, we know kind of how it works. If I, you know, if I do this, then I should get a good outcome. And grace doesn't work like that. Grace is like, you can, you can be crap and, and God will still bless you. It's, it's like, it doesn't seem to sit well with us. We would rather earn our merit, we, you know, earn the good things in our lives. And, and I can imagine that if you're a Pharisee and you've been following this law all of your life and you've been really, really strict and you've been watching what clothes you're wearing and everything like that, and then suddenly, bang, it's all gone. What? Where did that go? No, that's not fair. You guys have to follow this law too. And so we have this tendency to fall back to legalism. Um, and I don't know about you, but it's so easy to, to, to feel that I need to do something else to be saved, to I, I need to 
I need to have a or, or if, if I'm if I'm not experiencing these things if I, if I don't if I'm not um, in a relationship of my dreams and if I you know don't have a family if I don't have a job that I really love and if I'm not successful in this then I'm not someone important and and what we're essentially doing there we, we, we're adding essentially what the, doing what the Pharisees were doing we're trying to add to what Jesus did so how and, and that and that's what kills us it's all these expectations that we place on ourselves and we stop resting in, in what Christ has done <clears throat> and as a result it kills the life that God wants to give us so how do we recognise this tendency in us and I think there's two aspects to it whenever we look at someone and we feel we're a better person than them we're essentially doing what the Pharisees were doing right I'm, a be- I'm better than the Gentile because I'm doing all this stuff. So we're judging them. We're judging them as inferior because they're not doing something. So I'm better than that person because I go to church and I, I follow all the rules of society and I give more than them and I don't behave as badly as them. But the scripture would say our motivation for, for worship, for going to church, for giving to God, it should be should be out of response for what we receive from God. So, so it's 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 all gift. God gives us a gift with no strings attached. We in in response give Him a gift, which should have no strings attached. But often we we attach strings to what we give to God. Okay, God, now I've given you some money. You need to give me a lot more money. Or I've I've lived my life in in this wonderful way. Now, Lord, you have to bless me. That's falling back into legalism, right? And this is what that this passage says is what is uh, no good. And it, it works the other way too. If we look at someone else and we feel inferior to them, we're doing the same thing too, right? We're, we're saying, if only I was like that person, if only I was as good as that person, if only I had what that person had, um, then I'd be somebody. We're, we're falling back into legalism too. Because it's coming back to what people do or what they have. Um, and that's... Uh, now, I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't look at people and aspire to be like them. Like, I, I aspire to be like selfless, like Mother Teresa. That's a, that's a good thing, right? I, I aspire to be courageous like Martin Luther King. What a courageous man. That's inspiring, but... If, if I think that I have to be like, unless I'm like him, I won't, I won't be, uh, I won't have made it in life, then I'm falling back into legalism. Salvation is a gift that is available through what Jesus has done, not what I have done or what another person has done. And so I can say from my heart that God loves me just as much as Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King. Can you say that? Can you say that to yourself? Can you speak to your heart and, and rest in the love of God that God loves you just as much as Mother Teresa or Martin Luther King, these people that have done these incredible, lived these incredible lives? If you can't, if you can't say that to yourself, there's some digging to do, right? Into your heart. Why? Why can you not say that? Is that not true in the gospel? That God loves each one of us that he gave his only son. Doesn't doesn't matter that oh if, if you lived a life 
like Martin Luther King, oh, God died for you, for this person. But no, no, if, you, if, you have, if you've laid on the couch all, you, all your life, no, no, God didn't die for you. That's not what the Bible says, right? So coming back to that question, can you say, God loves me just as much as Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa? So how do we resist this tendency to fall back to legalism? <clears throat> to try to avoid adding things to what's required for salvation. To stop judging and condemning ourselves and others. Here's so a couple of steps that the Lord showed me um, a while ago and I found, I found them really important. So the first thing is to identify what is eternal and what is temporal, or in other words, what belongs to this life. Because this life, whatever belongs to this life is temporal. It's temporary. It's not going to last, right? Marriage is one of those things. Like I, I made, I'm, I, I effectively made God's belief in God's love for me conditional on marriage at one point in my life. Now I'm taking what is temporal and I'm placing it upon what is eternal. You see what I'm doing there? And the results were terrible. My, I was consumed with anxiety. I, was, I, was, I wasn't sure that God actually loved me because he had to give me this, therefore he didn't love me. Right? So identify what is eternal and what is temporal. So there's a bunch of things that, that are going to fall off us when we die. And one of them is our sinful nature. The sinful nature is not going to be with us in heaven. Otherwise, it's not going to be heaven, right? So we're not going to, we're not going to um, struggle. You know, one sweet day, we're going to be free of our brokenness. We're going to be free of our desire to sin. Uh, we're going to be free of this, this tendency to fall back to legalism. God doesn't want those things. He's laid upon those, laid us, uh, laid up those things upon us in a temporal way, to to bring us. Uh, to learn to rely on him to, to make us humble what God wants is my heart and my soul and my spirit and my body remember even our bodies are going to be resurrected hope I've got a bit more here in my resurrected body but um, remember Jesus resurrected body had scars it was the body that was pierced so our bodies even though they're in one sense part of this world they're going to be resurrected anew and so um our bodies are also eternal in, in that sense. They're going to be transformed. <clears throat> so, don't allow what is temporal to determine what is eternal. So say I have a particular struggle with my sexuality or say jealousy. <clears throat> if I hate myself and I consider myself a pile of trash for having those struggles... I'm, I'm taking what is temporal and I'm using it to determine the worth of what is eternal. Do you understand? Does that, does that, does that make it clear? If I, um, and I'm falling back into legalism doing that because I'm saying it's dependent on what I do. So God says we are precious enough and desirable enough to be worth dying for who are you to say otherwise? Right? So there might be aspects of, of yourself that you don't like. Those aspects in Christ can be temporal. <clears throat> and they will be they can be left in this world when we go to be with him. 
So I've learned not to allow those things to determine my worth. Does that, does that help? Does that help you to understand what I'm trying to say? Don't allow those, the struggles and the, and the things of this world to devalue what is eternal, what God, what Jesus died for. That's in us. God, we, if we can't accept the love of God, we're, we're, there's something badly wrong. Right? That's what it boils down to. But then what do we do with our brokenness? What, how do we, where does, that, um, where does God want us to go with our brokenness? And I think what, what he wants is to use our brokenness, our struggles, our trials to embrace the grace and the love of God. <clears throat> so if we feel shame about ourselves, <clears throat> when we look back at what we've been thinking, and, and and think, oh, what what kind of a person am I? We use it to embrace the grace of God. How do we do that? <clears throat> well, there's a guy called Henny Nowen, and he experienced this. Okay, so this is, rather than trying to explain it, here's an example of how to do it. I vividly remember how I had at one time become totally dependent on the affection and friendship of one person. This dependency threw me in the, into a pit of great anguish, and brought me to the verge of a very self-destructive depression. But from the moment I was helped to experience my interpersonal addiction as an expression of a need for total surrender to a loving God who would fulfill the deepest desires of my heart, I started to live my dependency in a radically new way. Instead of living it in shame and embarrassment, I was able to live it as an urgent invitation to claim God's unconditional love for myself, a love I can depend on without fear. Okay, so when we see our struggles, our temptations, our weaknesses, <clears throat> not not as a as a reason for shame and condemnation, but as it as underneath them all, there's a there's a there's a desire that God has placed in us that He wants to to meet. So we can actually use our our struggles, our, our temptations, our trials, just like Henny Nowen did here, when when he saw it as fundamentally. Um, a hole in his heart that only God could meet. He saw it as a good thing. And so his brokenness became his friend. And he, he's, he, he talks about making friends with your brokenness. And it's like, um, when I first came across that phrase, I was like, what? Making friends with your brokenness? But he, this is what he means. You can use your brokenness in, in, in a way that draws you closer to God. And this is why God has laid upon uh, us these things not to cause us shame and condemnation, but to bring us to our knees and to come to Him to meet those needs. So Henry Nouwen came to experience the love of God in a whole new way that he wouldn't have been able to if he hadn't had this brokenness, this tendency to worship another person. And... And we can, there's so much of that in our society at the moment to see the answer to everything in our lives in, in another person, in a relationship, someone to come home to. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's, a, it's nice to come home to someone. But if we make that, if we take our whole weight of our being and place it on someone else, it will crush them. It will crush us too. Just about killed Henry Nowen. Right? So whatever your uh, grappling with in yourself 
ask God to show you how to transform it like he did for Henry Now. So I hope that you can um, take some of these ideas and sit with them with the Lord. In fact, um, let's just uh, finish in a time of prayer now. Maybe you're conscious that you've got something in yourself that causes you shame and condemnation. Lord God, I ask uh, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you can see our hearts. Our hearts are laid bare before you. Lord, would you bring revelation and understanding to our hearts that we may be able to see the deep need that only you can meet that often is expressed negatively by our brokenness. Lord, would you show us how we can allow you into those very deep and tender places of our hearts and to find you there, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, the one who doesn't want us to condemn ourselves and he will never condemn us. The one that came to rescue us from ourselves. Holy Spirit, minister to each one of us.